The year is 1890. The place, Boston. An evil force continues to seep into our world, corrupting and conquering all who touch it. Our four brave adventurers have thus far foiled its plans, most recently stopping the Red Death from taking control of Agnes Hahn. But the Red Death remains undaunted. Our four heroes have the evil's full attention, especially Agnes. As Boston descends into panic, can they keep this force from holding illimitable dominion over all? Find out as they face the Red Death. You might want to start wearing gloves, Finn. She stands up from uh, relatively far across the the room where she's making an investigation of the other body that was there and says, there's no need to wear gloves. And she sort of points to her, her ears, which are pointed and says, I have unusually good ears and comes over, walks up to Finn in her sort of matter of fact way and says, Let's see the ring. <laughs> Sorry, I just had the image of him like holding up the wrong finger <laughs> in a very defiant youth kind of way. But uh, he's he's grown a lot since his, his younger days and uh, he does not flip over the bird. Um, <clears throat> he, uh, he's tapping uh, his his uh, more sentimental finger, ring finger on, on the one of the pistol uh, handles and the other hand, with the other hand, he kind of produces the the ring and holds it up, like kind of close to his chest, but you know, like you're, you know, displaying the ring in front of you, mm-hmm. not hand, not like handing it out to her or taking it off. Oh, wait, no, I can't remember if he was wearing it. He doesn't often wear it. Yeah, no, it would. He, he sorry, I apologize. Can't yeah, <laughs> we didn't take that, but it, he uh, he pulls it from his uh, uh, the small vest pocket and. Uh, has it in his hand, but is holding it close enough to where if she was to try to reach out and grab it, he'd have a chance. Right. Yeah. So at seeing you holding it, but not wearing it and offering to show it freely, she, she says, and you're sure. And she turns to the two of you and you're sure this is the liars, right? He, he doesn't seem especially protective of it. It's good if he's not. If it is, it's very I, good. I wouldn't call it the liar's ring. It's more of a, a silver-tongued kind of thing. The ring of Anansi. Yes, it has many, many names as these things do. Yep. We had a long conversation with your librarian friend about the ring. I'm sure he was fascinated to see it. What did he say? I don't remember. Agnes? Uh, <laughs> that's an excellent question that I don't necessarily recall the details to myself. I was um, distracted during our last visit to the library, I suppose. Ignacio <laughs> pass it around in a circle. And I think Ignacio just looks up confused like, what's going on? I'm busy. <laughs> and she points down. <laughs> I think James right. says, listen, he, he said some things that were interesting that I'm sure you already know. And that's where it ends. <laughs> he says, well, he didn't 
tell me anything. And he takes his librarianship quite seriously. He would never reveal what information he passed along to someone else in his role as a librarian. She's met with four blank stares. Correction, three blank stares and one that's went back to work. <laughs> I, the only thing I'm torn about is whether or not um, Sawyer would, would remember and reveal the term immaculate, which he has now heard a couple of times. Okay. So she says, but, but Pachetu told you this was the ring. He mentioned the name An- uh, Anansi. Well, he's not creative enough to lie, so... That seems rude. We all have different gifts, dear. Um, She says, so then the only... If that is, and you're not... Then you're one. Of an amazingly heroic group of Avengers in the city? Yes, one of them. She rolls her eyes. One of the Immaculate. Surely he told you about that. Sawyer kind of glances down at Ignacia. To, if you, I don't know if, you, if she heard that and if it would cause her to a little bit of pause. Because you know more about the Immaculate than Sawyer does. I don't honestly don't know how much attention Ignacia is paying to the conversation. Because I think she's now laser focused on getting this done. So she's perceptive as all get out. But once she's on a thing, she tries to... Once Sawyer sees that Ignacia is not injecting, interjecting into the conversation, um, he he sort of speeds up his speech and says, look, in the interest of saving time and perhaps the lives of more of our friends, uh, the information that we were given about this is that uh, I'm able to hold it. It doesn't affect me in the same way. Were I to give it to James, he punched me in the face. That's a proven fact. And if I give it to my friend Ignacia here, she she treats it very similarly to me. So now you're caught up with where we're at, and we need to go save our friends. We if could you use want, your help. If you want, just for fun, we can see what happens if I hold it, but I think it'll be quite similar to your earlier unpleasant experience. Yeah, there's going to be a glass that shadows on that wall about six feet away from your head. Well, at least we have that going for us, that I have terrible aim should I ever need to touch that thing. Sawyer, as you talk about Ignacia, this is, Sadet's normally very calm, cool, stoic. This is the first moment of real shock you've seen from her. Um, You saw her behave somewhat awkwardly when you first met her at the museum because she was putting on a show. But this is a moment of real surprise. And she says, she is also able to handle this ring and freely give it back to you. Yeah, I, I mean, she, she did in the, in the library. And, and he goes to like hand it, because it's still in his hand, hand it over to Ignacia and say, hey, would you hold this for me for a second, Ignacia? I think without looking, she just like holds her hand out, just like, and using the other hand to like, um, just sort of mix. <laughs> she's like, what do you want? And she looks up, she's like, what, what's going on? He takes the ring back. <laughs> she says, oh, two of you. Sawyer just starts air counting like five people in the room. She says, no, no wonder. <laughs> no wonder this group is such a target. And what was it about the guns that you were debating whether to tell me about or not? Wow. 
She can hear things. I don't know, James, what were you talking about? I think James says, like, he's got a hellfire gun that I don't know how it works. It shoots hellfire, whatever that means. Sawyer just kind of puts his hand in a gun shape and says, you put a bullet in it and you pull the trigger and the bullet comes out of the, in a real smart assy kind of way. <laughs> so she explains what she told, um, what she told Ignacia and uh, James about with the sword that um, one of the other artifacts is uh, the sword that was supposed to have the same effects as you're describing with the gun. And the Lost Kingdom has been trying to track these objects down. James, as I told you, your mother was obsessed with the necklace and we were all in favor of her finding it. She could handle it, of course. But this sword, it seems to have simply vanished, but it makes sense if it was melted down, turned into a more modern weapon, we wouldn't have known what we were looking for. This, this gun literally flew into my hand from the hand of a very bad person that James later beat to a oblivion. Were you wearing the ring at the time? I believe I was. That's how these things work. They're drawn to each other. Like a... Did they know about magnets in the 1890s? Anachronism, if not. (laughs) What's that? I imagine so. Okay. She says, like a magnet, but on a far more powerful, mystical level. These things want to be together. And so if you had the ring, then it makes sense that the gun would want to be with you. This is both very good and very bad. What's the bad? Well, the Immaculate are the only way that we have any hope of defeating the Red Death. When the Red Death broke into this world, the Immaculate was this force that myth says followed it in. And the strain of traveling dimensions or planes or realities or whatever you want to call it, as the Red Death tried to close the door behind it, broke this force into three. It enters people at the moment of their birth if it's not attached to a soul currently. And so you, Mr. Sawyer, you, Ms. Del Rio, you were both born at the right time. Thank you. (laughs) And there's... Nothing that the Red Death fears more than the two of you and the third. James, what day did your mother go missing? What was the date? She went missing, let's say, November 16th. And it was 10 years ago? Is that? I think so. Okay. So she says, James, since... Since your mother died on November 20th, we're looking for someone who's, well, nine and a half years old right now. When one person who is immaculate dies, the 
that fragment finds a new born. So I'm trying to think. I don't think James would James would put this together at all. Um, so it's player knowledge that I need to throw at someone else who might think of it. How was that little girl we keep seeing around everywhere? That was my thought exactly. Oh, you mean oh god, what is her name? Jane? Jane. Jane. Hmm? Lamity Jane. Mm-hmm. I thought she was like five, but that could be just me assuming an age on a child. I can't remember her exactly. I think she was around 10, 10-ish, 8-ish, 10-ish, something like that. I can't remember now. That's I mean, James wouldn't think of that, but I did. Um, yeah, so Sawyer says, uh, yeah, so perhaps we can go and make sure that all of our friends and family are secure for this evening and then um, go shopping for uh, children. Sidette says, well, there's no reason that this child would be in Boston. It's anywhere in the world. Well, then we better get looking soon. I think James says, well, those two are in Boston. Points at Sawyer, then Ignacia. Yeah. She says, well, the other reason that we have so much to worry about here, the necklace that your mother found. When she was killed, it would have gone back to the forces of the Red Death, who surely would have taken it off her body when she died. Just like that gun flew into Mr. Sawyer's hand, these two together, the ring and the gun, will be like a beacon for this. I don't know if his being immaculate will interfere with that. Mr. Sawyer, did you feel the the ring pulled at all when the gun flew into your hand? Was it as though the gun was trying to rip the ring off of your finger? I may have felt something, but I have to be honest, I was uh, about to be in a gunfight, and uh, normally I don't think much uh, about anything else. I do remember, I think, uh, maybe I felt something, heat, mild (laughs) annoyance. So then, of course, the odds that whatever creature has that necklace now and however it started, it is pure evil now, would be seeking you. Could that be what drove these creatures here and killed my friend? It could be, but the objects themselves would be like a beacon. They wouldn't be seeking out where you usually are. They would be seeking out where the objects are. I I don't know if it's betrayed in his features, but... He definitely feels a little relief, <laughs> a little, little, uh, you know, alleviated uh, guilt kind of mm-hmm. feeling. Um, and he says, uh, well, we could probably use that to our advantage and stop running into these things and, and, and investigating and draw whatever it is to our terms and our turf. I like that. Let them bring the fight here. She shakes her head. She says, No. There's no hope of defeating the Red Death unless all of the Immaculate are together. Even then. But... I think at this point, is looking up and she's moving that mixture that she made. I think it's like a dry herbal tea mixture like into another jar so they can eventually brew it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. 
And I think she's actually starting to pay attention to the story. She's she, she's thinking a bit. And she's like, I mean, I might be able to see what the spirits say and see if they can lead me to a direction to wherever this child is. I mean, I've talked to them once before in regards to when James and Sawyer went missing, but honestly, I don't know how much I can get. She says, if, if you're willing to try. I would need the supplies and a calm space to do it, but I can I can definitely give it a shot. Um, so as you're saying that Charlotte comes over, she says, I've uh, spoken with Detective O'Neill and Teresa. They're both safe. They're on their way to our house now. And she looks at at Kepri and says, who is this? And when none of you say anything, um, Kepri says, someone interested in keeping your daughter's friends alive. Is that enough? Or do you want a name that wouldn't mean anything to you? We're all, we're all friends here. I don't know whether I do know that we're all aligned in our goals overall. I don't know whether your plans are misaligned, but I do think that I'm anxious to see whether my family is all right. I think we're all anxious to attend to some of our own personal business before we make any decisions about how to proceed or how to track down a nine-year-old child somewhere on the globe. I don't know whether this warrants another trip to the library. I mean, do they have records there? Sawyer Sawyer looks at James as soon as Agnes says that she wants to go back to the library. I think think James... I think James has been slowly growing a little annoyed um, during a lot of this talk um, because I put up as one of my struggles, he's bitter about circle stuff because he feels a little left out, you know? So I think he's been growing a little annoyed at all the magic talk and immaculate and all that stuff. Um, So I don't think he catches it, but I think at the first chance he goes, in case it's not clear, he points at Ignacio says circle and points at, um, Oh, who was the other one in the room? Sadat. No, not Sadat. Oh, Charlotte? Charlotte, yeah. And he says, circle. Uh, he points at Sawyer. He's like, arrow, you know, is just kind of like making all the knowledge known, you know, that we have people with a circle here, and he's kind of just cutting to the chase. Okay. So upon hearing that Kepri is a member of the Lost Kingdom, Charlotte bristles. Um, visibly, and says, the ones who think that we can actually stand and fight against the Red Death rather than keep it from gaining any more power and conquering everything. And Kepri sneers, um, sort of raises a lip and a, a sort of snarl and says, that's right, the circle, the ones who think that magic is going to save us and that we can appease this force by holding it at bay rather than confronting it head on. Awkward. Sawyer just says under his breath to James and Agnes. Okay. 
Ignacia's a few steps too far away. I assume Sadat heard it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's some some real visible uh, and palpable tension here. Um, and you all don't need to do uh, even a minor uh, insight check here to see that these two are deeply mistrustful of each other um, and downright um, downright antipathy for each other and their approaches. I think once Ignacia realizes what's going on, because I think she's finally finishing cleaning up stuff, she just puts her hands like calmly on the counter and just looks between the two of them. And you can see her hands are still shaking a bit from the stress. And she's like, I understand there's differences between both of y'all right now, but we're in the middle of a shop. There's dead people in here that we need to give final rights to and move out so they're not just rotting away in here. Can we at least put our differences aside for now, handle what's happening, and deal with this later? Uh, sure. What approach are you using to make oh, that make oh. that speech convincing? Oh, no. <laughs> um, um, uh, oh, oh, no. Mm. I don't have any influence. Uh, <laughs> dang it. Maybe... Oh, I was trying to be forceful with it because it's not going to be really empathy because. Well, you still get for influence. You still get plus four. Four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think. So okay. I'll use influence. Why not? Just not nothing. Yeah. I mean, I got, um, so I got something. This is going to be a, going to be a daunting check. Okay. Daunting is a fifth. I can, I use, is it worth it? I don't know. To use a surge to knock it down. <laughs> totally up to you. I don't know if it's worth Y'all, is it worth it? Y'all think it's worth it? I, mean, I might hold on to it. Yeah. Okay, I, I won't then. I'll hold on to it. So I'll just, it's still daunting. Okay, so now that you know what it is, you don't have to roll if you don't want. You can just say that that was just you venting and back off. I think Ignacy really wants to get the show on the road, so I think she may just try. Okay. With a plus okay. four, you got a 50% chance here. Yeah. Oh, the 16 on the die. So that's uh, a 20 overall. Great. So that is, you made it at extreme. So uh, you have a success and um, it goes as planned with no strain. Okay. So talk about how this softens the two of them towards each other. I, I think it makes them realize what the situation is, despite it kind of brings them back to reality instead of them like shooting daggers at each other that they can actually realize they're in a shop that's been torn apart. There is a dead naked man in the front room while, you know, Charlotte's dear friend Lijing is underneath a blanket, you know, towards the back. And, you know, we're all wounded in some sort of capacity because I know Ignacio's been hurt. Everybody else has been hurt. Agnes has been bit and still is feeling the effects from that. So I think it just like reminds them of what's going on right now that we need to focus on currently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. And so um, you see Charlotte's attention turn to Agnes's wound um, and the compound you've made. And Kepri sort of mutters, well, the enemy of my enemy. Um, and then when no one moves, immediately says, well, let's go then. And Charlotte says, uh, yes, uh, 
Detective O'Neill said he'd send some officers over here to assess the scene based on an anonymous tip. He said he'd wait a few minutes before he sent anyone over, but we should be on our way. I think Ivis just gets, as long as like the attending to has happened, um, then Ivis just gets up and leaves, tries to instigate just like a an exodus from this place. Yeah, Charlotte and Kepri are more than happy to leave. I think James will go too then. I think Ignacia takes the jar of the concoction that she made and it's it's mainly just like a mixture of dry herbs that um and she looks at um Charlotte and Sadat and um we'll tell Agnes later. Agnes already left. And be like, once we get home I need to make a tea and just sort of holds up the jar up and starts walking out. Was there uh, an item that Li Jing carried on her? Carried? Did she have a, a like a cane or a um, any type of item that was like Sawyer never saw her without? Yeah, I don't think we have one established, but go ahead and establish one. I can do that with a with a plot twist. <laughs> you can do that for free. Okay. Yeah, I'd say I'd say um, she had a, an intricately carved kind of like um, cane. Not that she needed it, unless she was purposefully trying to look frailer than she actually was for mischievous little purposes. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, she was she was clever and and uh, in that way. Um, so it would probably be on the floor at some point, and he kind of nods his head, tips his hat towards towards the house, like her or you know everything, and picks that up and just carries it with him. Okay. So he has uh, Li Jing's cane. All right, so you leave uh, Li Jing's shop and you take the uneventful trip back to the Han residence and arrive there quite safely. Uh, both Teresa and David O'Neill are waiting for you there, as are Joseph and uh, William and Beatrice. Uh, the three of them are pretty confused about what's going on, uh, since Detective O'Neill sort of rushed in uh, and kind of searched the place, but hasn't really told them a whole lot. Were we there before O'Neill or after O'Neill? After. After, okay. Do the Hans have a cat? We could. <laughs> Depends on what's gonna happen to the cat. I think I was just, I thought it'd be funny if we all walked in and everything looked okay until a cat jumped up on a table and we all turned to it like <laughs> like it's a were tiger. <laughs> like a Bengal cat. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if you'd like to do that, you absolutely can. I think that's going to be a plot twist. <laughs> we don't. We didn't even have a cat before this <laughs> night. It was just like, oh, we adopted one while you were gone. Right. No, I just, I, yeah. <laughs> no, because I don't want to fail that role and accidentally shoot the cat. So let's let's move on. <laughs> what causes you emotional stress while shooting a cat? Yes. <laughs> I think, like, if I haven't had the the tea yet, I think that's going to be the first thing. Like, people will have questions, I'm sure. Agnes is going to kind of just 
march on ahead i think it's been like a lot and i, I for once i think she's kind of expecting that she can be a little bit rude right now considering her shoulder is kind of you know semi-mangled right now agnes your father takes great interest in the wound but your mother sort of turns him away and reassures him that ignacia saw everything um there was an accident and a dog got out and she can explain everything if they just come into the parlor and sit down with her and talk and sort of motions William and Beatrice in as well. As they walk in, they, you see them sit down and she draws the pocket door shut and she leaves the rest of you to your thing. I think Ignacia just goes straight to the kitchen to start boiling some water for the tea. Sawyer goes straight in the opposite direction to the dry bar on the other end of the living room, pours himself a drink and looks to everybody else with the with the decanter, kind of shakes it. It's the same stuff that I think Agnes had told him previously that was her father's good uh, liquor. Kepri walks over and takes a glass. Maybe the glass you poured for yourself. <laughs> I think James follows Ignacia uh, just they get into the kitchen. He's like, is there anything I can do to help? Like he's flustered, you know, he's, he's looking for something to do because he feels so out of place, like it, with, with all the magic stuff. So he's looking for something to kind of busy his hands and feel useful at the moment. Um, yeah. Could you grab me? And she's like looking around. <laughs> trying to figure out what she can do to help her. And she's like, actually, could you um, get a plate of snacks, uh, crackers, small sandwiches? Yeah, uh, I can do that. And I think he goes around to different cabinets and opens and looks for, you know, bite-sized foods and starts just putting on a plate some waters, maybe. Agnes just takes a piece of cheese, like, unadorned with anything else. No bread, no cracker, just starts eating the cheese. Mood. <laughs> I think Sawyer takes some of the meat, uh, and uh, is, is already on his second. He, not, he's not downing his second glass. He's downed the first one, and he's sipping at the second one. And he's watching Sadet, who I imagine does a similar thing. Or is she just sipping at the first one? She's just sipping. Oh, okay. She's, okay. she's classy. He, he, uh, as he pours the second one, he spins it around and then goes to, to cheers against her, her glass. Just to, he's sort of, sort of like a, a gauging her. What is it called? It's like you, you, you know, you're sizing her up, sizing her up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what approach are you using for that? I think insight. I think insight would be appropriate, um, which is not one of my, greatest strengths but uh um and i don't really have anything any any like uh abilities or, or qualities that'll that'll buy that down so i'm just okay. gonna i'm just gonna check her out and and just to see what i can pick up on i'm not like i'm not looking for any one thing in particular okay uh i'm gonna say that this is a i'm gonna say that this is moderate but success would mean the the more successful you are the more you get out of it uh, 13 total. Okay. So yeah, you succeed um, at a difficult check. You don't get much. She's she's a really hard read, but you've met people before who have 
practiced how to be hard to read and you're getting that from her. So it, you don't have the sense that she is as standoffish or as unfeeling as she appears to be, but she's putting a wall and keeping using that to, to separate you think. Okay. I think so. It's pretty, but just in general, impressed with her in, in like her demeanor and how she carries herself and, and how confident she was when we first met her um, and, and capable. Um, but he's not a hundred percent sure whether or not uh, like they're on the same team, so to speak. Like, like he's not sure that there isn't something, an ulterior motive running through or that she wouldn't hesitate to cause, you know, to, to change kind of her disposition towards everybody. If it meant her order is, you know, I don't know. Yeah, he's still he's still on the fence. Okay. But his cheers uh, takes on more of a like uh, res- mutual respect of of the abilities he he does respect, and then he drinks and cool watches James deliver some meat and cheese. So Ignacio, what do you expect will happen when Agnes drinks this? Oh. Um... She honestly isn't sure, like, as she's, like, starting to, like, the water's starting to boil and she's starting to steep the leaves and she's getting to trace it up because she doesn't know what to expect. So she's thinking maybe Agnes should, we should take this to her room. So she lays down as she drinks it because it may be painful to get the toxins out of the body. It may be just healed all naturally. She, this is her first time ever facing anything no, now I'm thinking about it. Maybe she's faced something like this before, but, you know, anytime you do something new, it's always, you want to take the right precautions. So she's starting to set up a tray, teapot, and, like, um, just a generic mug, and puts them on a tray just so it's easier to carry. And um, maybe some sugars to help the medicine go down. Maybe a little tiny thing of milk, because... Like when you give a kid when they have spicy food and they can't handle it, <laughs> yeah. a cup of milk and some sugar cubes. You know, just just in case. <laughs> we don't know how this is gonna go. And um I think once once she you know, times it out and she's like, Okay. This is like a green tea, so maybe it's like a two or three minutes deep. So once she's like, Okay, that thing's about ready. She'll just pick up the tray and just walk out to the living room and she's like, Agnes, I think we should best take this upstairs. Agnes nods and heads up to her room. And Ignacio just follows. And as they're going, I think I she's Ignacio's telling Agnes, she's like, I don't know exactly what is going to happen, but I think it may be best if we're laying down. So do I need a bowl or a bucket of some sort? That may be a good plan. I think like there's like a little closet that we pass on the way to the room and she just opens the door, grabs like a bucket out of it and just brings it to the room. It's just like having a really bad hangover, except for there's tigers involved. <laughs> okay. And um, yeah, so once we get upstairs, Agnes, how do you, well, you're, we're going to drink this tea straight first, but if you need to add anything to it, I brought sugar and milk because I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what will help. She just drinks it straight and then lies down, closes her eyes. She's like, you know, I think it doesn't feel good. 
doesn't taste good, but I think it's working. All right. I would like you to give me a daunting brawn check here. And I know that's a little bit more directive than uh, the system usually is, but um, thinking about just withstanding what this reaction is going to be, I think that's the one. Well, I rolled a natural one, but also that's particularly hilarious because I have zero in body and zero in brawn, so. Sorry, I thought I was muted. So I didn't mean so to this is going to be a party. <laughs> I did not mean to explain so loudly. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, the good news is you're going to be taking a rest after this anyway. So, um, so you do take, uh, you miss by three. Um, so you take four strain and one surge point. That maxes me out on strain. And it's only after the max, right? If she were to take one more, it would be... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the good news is you're going to be able to rest after this, and that resets your, your strain. Mm -hmm. oh, and how I, many surge uh, points was it? One. It, it, one. It is, sorry, once you reach it, you take one. And then any point, any strain taken after that, no matter how much you take, that, that grouping of strain at that moment causes one more condition. Okay. So, like, you, you, will, you will now have one condition. Okay. But that goes away with like a a good amount of rest, right? Anything narratively that makes sense to remove whatever that condition is. Yeah. Okay. So you throw this tea back and immediately your whole body and your mind go into revolt. You don't become sick, but it's this terrible full body feeling and mentally you're thrown. So talk about what happens to, to Agnes. I think it's like that thing that happens whenever you have like a severe amount of pain where you just like you are nothing but your body suddenly and so Agnes is like speech is not coming like she has the passing thought of I should probably tell Ignacia that I feel really terrible but like the ability to even communicate that much is just completely eluding her uh, and she just curls into like the fetal position on her bed and starts just moaning terribly. I, I think at that point, Ignacia kicks off her boots, climbs in and just like sort of has uh, Agnes on her lap and just like sort of like making sure, brushing off the sweat off her forehead and just like, just keeping an eye, making sure that things are going okay in a positive direction. Yeah. Yeah, Agnes like just has like a pillow like grab like to her chest suffocating the life out of this pillow it's probably loud enough that people downstairs can hear like sounds of distress and as this is happening your mind gets thrown for a loop too in the way that a body in pain can just make the the brain fire seemingly at random what is your brain going to as this is happening it might be something you've seen before it might be something you haven't seen before could be realistic, could be a vision. There is, I'm like certain for some reason that there is a sphinx just like sitting in my room laughing at me the entire time this is happening. And like the laughter is just getting louder and louder. And realistically, like Agnes knows maybe like a 50-50% chance that it's there. Like it wouldn't be the weirdest thing in the world to happen to her if there was a sphinx like laughing at her right now. But she also knows this, you know, not necessarily actually happening and then the sphinx grows the head of her brother and it just gets so much worse 
And I think as the Sphinx grows the head of your brother, you do sort of slip out and sort of lapse into unconsciousness, if that's okay with you. Yeah. Okay. And so Ignacia, that happens. She sort of softens and is asleep. I think I think with that, Ignacia is going to s- slowly and gently slip away from the bed, like rest her head on the pillow and then pour blankets up over her, tuck her in, and then just with one last look, making sure that she's a-okay, grabs the tray with the tea and stuff and just starts starts heading back downstairs, shutting the door behind her. Yeah. Leaving it, leaving cracked open just in case. The Red Death is Morgan Nuncio as Ignacia, Cleo Yansu Davis as Agnes, Tim Devine as Finn Sawyer, Kent Blue as James, and Doug Lewandowski as the Game Master. The Red Death is part of the Role to Play Network. It is edited, produced, and hosted by Kent Blue. Discover more at RollToPlayNetwork.com And do join us next time, if you You and William and Beatrice, come with me. Oh no, they're back. <laughs> Sawyer, Sawyer, Sawyer draws his guns on the door. <laughs> I almost want that to be canon. Um, <laughs> so tempting. Um, all right, so take it again. Sorry, Kent. Um, <laughs>